Okay, so just a little bit more Mr. Rogers trivia for you. One of the characters on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was a man uh, named Sam the Shoemaker. Sam the Shoemaker. It turns out in real life there was a man named Sam Shoemaker who died just a few years before the show started. You might wonder, uh, what did Sam Shoemaker mean to Fred Rogers? Well, interestingly, Sam Shoemaker wrote a poem about a door. Went something like this. I stand by the door. I neither go in too far nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It's the door through which we walk when we find God. There's no use my going way inside and staying there when so many are still outside and they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is. Yet many never find it, so I stand by the door. Now, you can write that off as a bit of sentimental piety, but for Sam Shoemaker, it was not because he knew his neighborhood, alcoholics, drunks, as they were called at the time, but to him, people, people struggling with the disease. Through what was called the Oxford Club, he circled around Jesus with some friends and started living his family with the people in that neighborhood. They were the founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, and millions of lives have been transformed, and countless in conscious contact with their higher power through Jesus Christ, because they together stood by the door. We're getting ready to do the same thing here at UPC. In 1908, a circle of friends moved into this very neighborhood and founded a university church. In the next decade, as I've told you, the pastor rode his bicycle next door, visiting 1,500 homes. In the 1960s, our pastor, Bob Munger, taught us our hearts are Christ's home. In the 1980s, our pastor, Bruce Larson, taught us how to be a family in that house. And then in the 1990s, our pastor, Earl Palmer, a current pastor emeritus, taught us about the owner of the house and that it's a house that takes us in to send us out. And now we're being sent out to be the church in the neighborhoods of Seattle. We're joining Jesus in his mission to reconcile all people. Last week, we learned what it means to, to be a family of communities as we do this, a diverse, extended family that gathers here weekly and then throughout the week in smaller communities, circling with Jesus in the neighborhoods of Seattle. Hey, by the way, didn't Polly do a great job last week? Wasn't that amazing? Polly is a rising leader here at UPC, and I can't wait to hear more of her preaching. She talked about Acts, and Acts gives us this beautiful picture of reconciliation. It's a family overcoming these disconnections of ethnicity and culture, age, economics, creed. You might wonder, well, how did all that happen? Well, she told us the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Yes, but something else, and it's this, that Jesus had taught them. Months earlier, Jesus had given them a strategy for reconciliation, and he had sent them out to, to try it, a strategy for reconciliation. Today, I want to look at that with you and ask you to consider how we could engage that same strategy here at UPC. Okay? Okay. <laughs> Indeed, as we said. 
Okay, let's open up our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. You'll find this in the Pew Bible on page 844. If you're able, would you stand with me and let's read God's word aloud together. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Luke 10, verses 1 through 12. Listen carefully. You're reading God's holy word. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, on that day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. Please be seated. Hey, here's what I love about this. What Jesus sends these people out to do seems so boringly ordinary, right? I mean, as far as I can tell, the whole thing seems no more complicated than this. Find a house that will take you in and then eat and drink whatever they will feed you, right? Did I get that right? I'm looking at verse seven. So if I'm standing there, I'm going, hmm, I think I've got this. I think I found the one area with Jesus where I actually meet the minimum threshold. Got it. Eat and drink whatever. Heck, I'll eat everything they've got for the cause of Christ, right? So what I love is it's so boringly ordinary. I'm thinking, I can actually do this. But it's also so totally transformational. Because look at what Jesus says when they come back. If you've got your Bible open, look down at verse um, 18. They're like, well, that wasn't much, you know, a few friends, a couple extra pounds, whatever. But Jesus says, you have no idea. I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. Evil overcome. Satan falling. Reconciliation. Cosmic reconciliation. Now, this drives the theologians nuts. He must be talking about the cross. He must be talking about the resurrection. He must be talking about the final judgment. No, 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 Luke says. He's talking about the time when that 70 of his followers went next door. So wait, let's go back. What exactly did they do? Well, there are three main elements. Formation, mission, and community. Formation, mission, and community. Let's look at those. Formation. This is about becoming, formation. 
Who are these 70? Well, this is definitely not the A-team, okay? They went out in chapter nine. So what's left? Well, uh, the shady characters that Luke tells us Jesus has been hanging out with, right? This is who they are, the so-called gluttons and drunkards, prostitutes, healed lepers and demoniacs, recovering legalists and tax collectors. This is more like the CDF team. They've got some serious becoming to do. That's why Jesus gives them very specific instructions here. Go here, not there, don't take this, say this, not that, do this, don't do that. By the way, this is the word of God speaking to them. This is the meaning of it all, defining the meaning of their lives, the meaning of their mission, defining who they are and whose they are and how they are to become. We can't become without the Bible, God's word to us, this book, Luke shows us this in chapter 24. Two people are walking along a road to a town called Emmaus, just like these pairs. It might have been uh, two of the 70, but they've given up hope, except that the risen Jesus comes along and he says, don't you have a Bible? And he explains the Bible. Later they say, we're not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us. The living word the meaning of it all speaks to us through the written word. It comforts us. It confuses us. It challenges us. But it changes us. It shapes our lives. It forms us. This is what we mean by gospel-shaped lives. We become. It's formation. This is where the strategy begins, formation. But there is a second element Mission. We're not just becoming, we're becoming for others. Jesus sends them out on mission for neighbors. But notice, it's not become first, mission second. It's become on mission. We say, okay, Jesus, get us all ready and then we'll go. Give us all the content, the classes, manuals, credentials, answer all of our questions, turn us into saints, all polished and slick, and then send us out to wow the world. No, no, that's not the way it works. Weakness will be your strength. And experience will be your teacher. You become as you go for others. And they've got a surprise or two coming because they're not allowed to choose the houses they visit, right? Or the food that they eat. No, it's, as Jesus says, where I'm sending and whatever they provide. This means they will end up in houses of every kind, the self-righteous and unrepentant sinners, Jews and Gentiles. Wait, what if the food is foreign? Another culture, as it certainly would have been in the towns of the Decapolis. What if it isn't rabbi-approved, isn't kosher? Jesus smiles. Eat whatever they provide. That's when you're really going to start becoming. You're going to become an agent of reconciliation. Remember, to reconcile is to overcome what disconnects us from God and from one another. That's the meaning of the word peace, which is so central here, shalom. Peace is the mission of the maker of it all, to restore the world to the way it was in the beginning. 
peace, shalom. Notice this. You don't have to make this happen, peace. I love this about this. You're just looking to join what the maker of it all is making in your neighborhood. You're looking for what Jesus calls a person of peace. That's verse six. Someone who, quote, shares in peace. That's our translation. But literally, it means a child of peace. There's a person in your neighborhood. Catch this. Jesus is saying, I have pre-positioned and prepared someone in your neighborhood to respond to my peace. Find them. Speak peace. Embody that peace. Stay with them. And then repeat. Easy. But it's not easy. Because it requires reconciliation. And reconciliation is hard work. And it will change you. This becoming isn't about your spiritual self-actualization. It's about others. It's about the maker of it all and his mission of peace for them, for us all. And Jesus smiles. This will challenge you, throw you back upon my word, drive you to your knees, and open your heart, and I will change you. Luke 10 will lead to Acts 10, where Peter, an observant Jew in distress, will eat with Cornelius, a God-fearing Gentile, food that is not rabbi-approved. It will change both of them. You become on mission for others. You're becoming a peacemaker on mission. You're becoming someone who multiplies peacemakers. Ask the Lord of the harvest, Jesus teaches us to pray, to send out laborers. That will become your prayer. This is the second element of Jesus' strategy, mission, becoming for others. And then there's one more, community. Becoming for others with others, community. Isn't it interesting that Jesus sends them out in weakness, vulnerable? Empty your pockets, he says. No purse, no bag, no sandals. Isn't it interesting that Jesus prohibits quick interactions? Greet no one on the road, he says. It's because there are two things community requires, vulnerability and time. Jesus sends them in pairs. This is the irreducible minimum for community. Two. Hear this, Jesus does not send individuals into neighborhoods, he sends communities. These are not two people in community who have two different neighborhoods, like many of our small groups. These are two people taking community into the same neighborhood, together, to the same neighbors, to the same house, to the same food. Why? Why does this matter? Because it becomes, uh, it takes an experience of community to have an experience of the reconciler of it all. It takes, as Paul would say, the body of Christ. Community, that's what he meant. Reconciliation spreads through relationship. A word of peace that doesn't become an experience of peace is just talk, religious chatter, marketing, propaganda. The world doesn't want to hear us talking about reconciliation. In fact, the more we talk about it without actually demonstrating it, the more irrelevant church becomes what the world needs now is to see reconciliation, the kind that only Jesus brings. But when two of you come through that door, when two of you 
Come through that door. And don't just tell me about peace, but show me what it looks like for people to actually live with peace, serving one another, forgiving one another, encouraging one another, praying for one another, speaking truth to one another, and the hundred plus other one another passages in the New Testament. I'll take all of that you got, and I'll beg you to tell me who. Who makes this peace possible? And I'll beg you to let me join you to join him. You just can't bring that stuff through the doorway alone as an individual. It takes two. It takes community. Becoming for others with others. Formation, mission, community. All three happening at the same time. That's the strategy of Jesus. That's what exploded across Jerusalem after Pentecost under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Here at UPC, we've coined a phrase to describe it. For missional community. For missional community. Formation plus mission plus community. Not each of them, all three of them at the same time with the same circle of friends. Here's a definition, so I'll help you spell it. Formational community is a way of life and occurs when circles of friends live like family on mission for their neighbors, being formed as disciples in the process. Formational community is a way of life that occurs when circles of friends live like family on mission for their neighbors being formed as disciples in the process. Notice, formational community is not a program. It's a way of life. It's about relationship with Jesus, with one another, with neighbors. So here's another picture of this. Formational community is what happens at the heart of this Venn diagram. You can't read the words, that's okay. But it's where three experiences overlap. Formation as disciples, it's one of the circles. Mission for neighbors, that's the second. And community-like family, the third. Now, most of us experience one or two of these elements. Some of us experience three of these elements in the same uh, circle of friends. And, and that's what it means to live in the heart of formational community, to experience all three of these elements, formation as disciples, mission for neighbors, and community-like family in the same circle of friends. And our goal, starting in the fall and for years to come, is going to be to move as many people as we possibly can into the heart of formational community, and it will change us. Now, here's some of the shifts that will have to happen, corporately and individually. We'll have to shift from being to becoming, from that's just who I am to I'm working on who I'm becoming, formation. And then we'll have to shift from self to other, from what's in it to me, for me, to what's good for my neighbor, a mission. And then we'll have to shift from alone to together, from me to we, to us, to community. That's what it's gonna to take to live in formational community with the strategy of Jesus. We believe it will transform our lives, transform our church, transform our neighbors, transform our city. And here's the best part, we can do this. Eat and drink whatever they provide, right? We've got that nailed at UPC. <laughs> you can do this. 
It's so boringly ordinary. Doors, food, peace. You have everything these 70 so-called drunkards and gluttons had and so much more. You've got the full gospel. You've got the Holy Spirit. You've got the risen Jesus alive in you. It's so ordinary, but it's also so totally transformational. I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. Reconciliation. Do we not yearn for reconciliation? Yearn for it. I can't think of anything our world needs more right now. And Jesus is ready to do it through us. I want him to see that flash of lightning again right here over Seattle. Look, before I give you some homework and let you go, (laughs) it's kind of a hostage situation, isn't it? Um, Give me three more minutes to show you what formational community looks like at UPC because we're already doing it. Look at this. This is a... 1917, this is what they call the apple pie affair. It sounds like a scandal, I know. Uh, But it was really a circle of friends at UPC, the Ladies' Aid Society, they called it. Their mission, three words, service, fellowship, and guess it, food. (laughs) Praise God. That was their mission. During the 20s, uh, the Ladies' Aid Society multiplied and started meeting in neighborhoods. Uh, They met here with the extended family once a month and in their neighborhoods once a month. Our historical records say, listen to this, This these are not my words, small groups of members or, quote, circles were created to promote closer friendships. Formed on a geographical basis, the circles took the names indicated by the locale, Central, University, Latona, Roosevelt, Laurelhurst, and they loved their neighbors through the Great Depression, and the church grew by a third. Why? By the way, this is a skit. They didn't dress this way. (laughs) Circles of friends, living like family, on mission for their neighbors, being formed as disciples in the process for missional community. We've done it, and we are doing it. Here's another circle of friends, one other example. Uh, This is a a group of women who've just finished a martial arts class. Uh, Their circle is called MOPS, M-O-P-S, because they know what their primary neighborhood is. It's mothers of preschoolers, and it's a battle zone, hence the martial arts, I guess. (laughs) Well, one day, Laura, who's one of the moppers, that's what I call them, I don't know, one of the moppers went next door. Uh, There was a new neighbor there, a mom named Michelle. Laura thought, this will go nowhere, but she baked a plate of cookies and knocked. Weeks later, the phone rings. It's Michelle. Huh, would you guys come for dinner? She says, wow. They do. Laura goes over with her husband. They ate the food. Michael and her husband didn't go to church. But you can't be a mom alone, so the question comes eventually, Laura, what do you do for mom friends? Well, Michelle... We call it Mops. And before long, Michelle has joined Mops and is worshiping regularly at UPC. And then, postscript, I get this email last week telling me now Michelle has gone next door to help another mom while her husband goes uh, with her to the hospital. 
And now that mom, the third one, who moved recently to Seattle from a super tough situation has become a member of UPC. What I'm saying is Jesus is reconciling all people and we're joining him through formational community. We can do this. We are doing this. Here's the homework. Let me suggest two things. First, you can sign up today to become an early adopter. Uh, Changes around our new vision won't come until the fall, as Brian said. But if the vision is resonating with you already and you'd like to help, please take a moment and sign up at upc.org slash next door. You can do it on your phone right now. You'll be the first to know about opportunities to prepare over the summer and spring. Uh, Second, and this is for all of us, let's pray. Jesus commands this in our text. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. See, we're in a process here. Some of us are already going for it. Some of us are really not so sure at all, and that's okay. But we all have spiritual work to do, so let's pray. I I know I need to ask myself, do I really believe that the harvest is plentiful? that my neighbors are more ready for Jesus than I am to join him? What will it take for me or for us to make these shifts, to shift from being to becoming, from self to other, from alone to together? In other words, let's ask the Lord of the harvest to make us laborers. Brothers and sisters, there is somebody in your neighborhood today who's ready for God, a person of peace. Jesus promises it. They just can't find the door. What could be more exciting than to lay your hands someday on the latch together? Like Samuel Shoemaker would say, the most tremendous thing in the world is is to take hold of a blind, groping hand. I admire the people who go way in, but as for me, I shall take my place near enough to God to hear him and near enough to those outside to hear them too. So I stand by the door. Let's do a little bit more than that. Let's go next door and go in. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have put a door on your sacred communion You have gone out through that door in the incarnation and you have brought us back inside through the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray now for the full measure of your Holy Spirit to come and blow the wind of heaven through our souls, to blow us from this campus out across the wider reaches of the Seattle area that we might join Jesus in what he's doing today. Pray it in his name and for his sake, amen.